because while there's much mystery in the book of Revelation and there's still much I'm trying to learn about it, this I know, the horde from hell hate you and anyone else that has the privilege of being made in the image of God. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. If what Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 was none of the Olivet Discourse where he talks about the end times, if that's not describing what's, what's happening now and what's about to happen on this earth, I don't know what possibly could describe it more. As we continue our year-long study in the book of Revelation, we come to one of the darkest, most mysterious sections of this prophetic book. What this person lets out of the pit is unlike anything else that's been described in scriptures up to this point. It's unlike anything that you and I have ever heard of. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to this week's Crosswalk. If you were with us last week, you may remember that we saw in chapter 8 the first four trumpet judgments announced and the devastating effects of those judgments on God's creation. What if God is saying to them, in essence, in that moment, are you sure this is what you want? Are you sure you don't want a life with me? Are you sure you're not willing to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross? Are you sure? Well, today, Pastor Clay is leading us into Revelation chapter 9 and the fifth trumpet judgment. While the first four trumpet judgments affected the earth, the trees, the oceans and rivers, and even the sun, moon, and stars, this fifth trumpet judgment is coming directly against mankind. It will be a plague greater than the world has ever known. The Revelation series continues on Crosswalk. fascinating study in the book of Revelation and as Revelation chapter 9 opens and we're going to look at that this morning as Revelation chapter 9 opens we are in the midst of the second set of three sets of judgments we're in the midst of what are referred to as the trumpet judgments and we saw last week if you were here that the first four trumpet judgments are what I refer to as nature judgments because they specifically come against God's creation. They come down on, on God's creation on nature, the earth, the trees, the grass, the, the oceans, the rivers, the sun, the moon, the stars. A third of the, of the trees wiped out, the grass. A third of the oceans poisoned. A third of the, of the freshwater, the rivers poisoned. A third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars destroyed or diminished in their capacity. It's, it's, a, it's an almost incomprehensible scene as these first four trumpet judgments come forth. And, and every time I read it, I think, well, it can't possibly get any worse than this. And yet it does. As we've seen, it's growing in its intensity, these judgments that are coming. And as we saw last week at the very end of chapter 8 in verse 13, this threefold woe is announced. Woe, woe, woe. And you can go back and read that. This threefold woe is announced. And it's announced not because of all that's transpired during the sealed judgments, as bad as all of that was. Not even because of the first four trumpet judgments and the destruction that comes to the earth. You would think that that's why uh, there would be this announcement, woe. But no, the, the threefold woe comes as a result of what's about to happen. 
as the, the three trumpet judgments that have not yet been blown are about to be blown. And this, this pronouncement comes, woe for what's about to happen. That's where we are, Revelation chapter 9 and verse 1 this morning. If you have a Bible, uh, if you haven't yet, please, I encourage you to open it there this morning, and the text also will be up on the screen. Uh, by the way, sidebar, because it just came into my brain, and at my age, I've got to catch them when they come through. As I said a few moments ago, at the end of the service today, we're going to be uh, celebrating the goodness of God through the ordinance of baptism. Uh, five uh, young ladies and, and four young ladies and one young man, I believe that's right, uh, have trusted Christ their Savior. They want to be obedient in believers' baptism. We're going to go out and do that at the end of the service, and we'll all just kind of gather around the, the pool there, and, and, it's, and it's wonderful. Um, but can I just say this? When we do baptism at the end of the service... It is brutal for those of us who have to break down afterwards because nobody's left. Everybody just kind of goes from there. So, so just sidebar, uh, if you can come back in and help us break down some, and, uh, you know, not our guests. You, I mean, you're welcome to come in, but not picking on you. But anybody that can help us, it's always appreciated so that, um, so that BJ's not left here by himself breaking it down. Because <laughs> i got to go somewhere. Uh, Revelation chapter 9, verse 1. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. And then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold. Their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing into battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings, and their tails, and in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. They have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things." You would pray with me this morning. Father, I'm grateful again for the privilege of of standing here and being your messenger boy to deliver your word, which is truth without any mixture of error, and I believe has application for every area of our lives. Today we delve a little farther, a little deeper into a time of great darkness upon this world as the church has been removed and as the judgments of God begin to be poured out upon this earth. It's... uh, 
It's almost, as I said, Father God, almost incomprehensible. And yet, I have no doubt that it is true. The accuracy of your prophecy scattered throughout your word is 100%. And so I have no doubt that the words of prophecy here in the book of Revelation will come true just as all your other prophecies have. But Lord, what we need is for your insight in, to be applied to our lives. What does this matter for us? How does it affect our lives? What does it mean in how we conduct ourselves, live our lives, and interact with others? And most importantly, what does it mean for our relationship with you? Teach us, Holy Spirit. Impart your truth to us. I pray, as, as I pray all week, Lord God, in preparation for this, I pray for open hearts, for open minds, for open spirits to receive the truth of your word and for our lives to be changed as a result of it, that we would become more fully devoted followers of Jesus as a result of the truth in your word that we'll look at today. Father, we're, we just celebrate these that have reached this milestone in their life today. Graduate recognition is a wonderful thing. We celebrate those uh, who be following in obedience to believers' baptism through the baptismal waters this morning. It, it's exciting to see these decisions that these, these children have made in their lives. But now, Lord God, as we look at your word for a few moments, may you uh, take us and shape us into the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus. And may we be better equipped, as Peter challenges us to do, to be ready to give an answer to every man of the hope that is in us. It's in the strong name of Christ we pray these things today. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 9, as, as it opens up here, uh, John announces as this fifth angel uh, sounds his trumpet. He says that he saw a star from heaven which had fallen. John sees the star from heaven which had fallen. Now, this is not, there's been, by the way, there's been a, a significant mention of stars in the book of Revelation. Uh, you can see it in various places. You talk about it. Um, but this is not a star like has been described in some of the others. This is not a star in the cosmological sense. This star is actually a person. Now, we know that because, and we just read it just a second ago, we know that it's a person because John says that I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. A star in the celestial skies isn't a him. So this, this star is a person. Now, there's been a lot of speculation about who this person could be. Different uh, answers have been offered up as to who this person could be. But I am convinced that this star is none other than Satan. By the way, if you're filling in your blanks and you're writing that in there, you might want to put a question mark after it because I have to say, in all honesty, that it cannot be definitively proven that this is Satan, although I believe that it is. For one thing, the text says that he saw a star from heaven which had fallen. It's in a perfect tense which shows completion. This star, this person, has already fallen from heaven at this point in the narrative. We also know that Satan is referred to as the star of the morning in Isaiah chapter 14, the very chapter that describes his fall. So to me, it seems logical that this person described here, this star falling from heaven, is Satan himself. Perhaps uh, 
who it is was not that great a priority, or for us to know who it is, is not that great a priority to God. But what this person lets out of the pit is unlike anything else that's been described in scriptures up to this point. It's unlike anything that you and I have ever heard of before. The text says that he has this key to the the bottomless pit was given to him, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Now, in your mind, you can already begin to get a visual, can't you? You can begin to get an image in your mind of this, of this, of this pit, this, this dark, smoke-filled place. Uh, by the way, I may be skipping forward a, a little bit, but that phrase there, uh, bottomless pit, its literal translation is the pit of abyss. It comes from the Greek word abusos, which means without depth. It is, that doesn't necessarily, he's not necessarily saying that, that, that there is no bottom to this thing. What he's saying is, is that this thing is so deep and so vast that it, it's almost as if it has no bottom to it. And up out of this, this pit, as the door is, is open, and I, I just, in my mind, I can begin to see this, and the smoke begins to rise up and it begins to fill the sky, this dark, heavy, perhaps stench-filled smoke begins to fill up the sky. And, and even right now, in my mind, as I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, well, this can't be good. This, this can't be good. And it's not. Out of the pit come these, the text says, locusts. Out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth. Now, they're not, they're not locusts in, in the way we think of them. They're not insects. I don't believe that they're insects. I think we, we know that because, for one thing, locusts as we know them don't have tails like that of a scorpion. And some of the other characteristics that are listed there, some of the other description doesn't really fit that of an actual locust. Now, don't get me wrong, they're real. I believe that they are actual creatures that are coming up out of the abyss at this point. But they're probably called locusts because, maybe because of the way they swarm up out of there in such large numbers. Probably because of their ability to bring destruction. And they probably, in some way, have the appearance of a locust. Although probably bigger and more like a Tim Burton version. And here they come up out of this, this pit. And what follows in verses 3 through 10 then is this description. This description of what they look like and a description of what they're going to do when they come up out of this pit. They've been held. They've been locked up, the text says, because we know a key is given to him. He uses a key to unlock it, so they have been locked away. And here they come up out of the abyss. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them as the scorpions have power. Now, again, uh, it's been wrangled through. Well, okay, what are they? If they're, if they're not exactly real insects, if they're not those kind of locusts, then, then what are they? Some people have said that they're symbolic. I don't think that's true. Uh, some people have said, well, maybe there's some type of of mechanical weapon of war, and, and John's trying to, de, to describe it that way. I don't think that's probably correct either. 
it's my opinion, more than likely, that the, these locusts are demons. They are demonic. Now, I think that because they have come up out of the abyss, for one thing. And Luke chapter 8, verse 31 tells us that the abyss is the holding place of, of the demonic horde. That demons are being held in prison there. Luke chapter 8, verse 31 tells us that. And so, since the abyss is open, and since Satan appears to be the one who's letting them out, again, it makes sense to me that this is probably this demonic, hellish horde that comes forth. Uh, by the way, notice the multiple use of the word like in the text. Uh, I think if I count it right, 10 times in the first 12 verses that John uses the word like. And I've talked about this. I brought this up a couple of times in the study of the book of Revelation. When John uses the word like, he's saying to us, this is kind of what it looks like. He's not saying that that's necessarily what it is, but he's saying this is kind of what it looks like. Remember, John's describing things that he's never seen before in his life. And that's not always easy to do. It'd be like trying to describe a, a woman that didn't love shoes. Well, I, I, it kind of looked, I think it's a woman, but I, or a man that was a good listener. I'm an equal opportunity offender. Just wanted to take that. But here they come up out of the abyss with this strange description. Three limitations, by the way. Three limitations that are put on this demonic horde, these locusts. First limitation is this. They can't touch those that God has sealed. That's what the text says. Now, that certainly includes the 144,000 Jewish evangelists that we looked at talked about, studied in Revelation chapter 7. Those 144,000 uh, Jews who come to faith in, in, in Jesus as Messiah and take his message throughout the entire earth. I've described them a couple times as, as 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams going all over the world sharing the message of Jesus with all those who come to faith in him. Clearly, the text is, says that they are sealed, they are protected, and that these creatures cannot bring harm to them during that time. But I'll say this, it probably, I, I, I'm of the, the conviction that it probably includes every single person who has come to faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation period that has not yet been killed by the Antichrist. And there'll be a significant number that have already been killed at this point. But, but those who are still alive may very well be protected from this horde as well. So they, they can't touch those that are sealed by God. Second limitation is they can't uh, touch the grass and the trees as the way normal locusts do, primarily because they have already been ravaged by the first four trumpet judgments last week. You remember that? They've already been ravaged by those, those trumpet judgments. So they can't touch the trees. They can't touch the grass. And the third limitation is they can't kill. And I got to tell you, that probably ticks them off to no end. Because while there's much mystery in the book of Revelation, and there's still much I'm trying to learn about it, this I know, the horde from hell hate you and me. And anyone else that has, that has the privilege of being, being made in the image of God. So it's got to tick them off that they can't kill. Uh, by the way, they also have a time limitation. Uh, 
five months, this is, and I believe it's a literal five months that this is going to Remember, the whole tribulation period is only seven years. A five-month period of time where they can, where they can inflict this pain and this, this, this punishment on these people. Although it's only five months, I'm quite certain that it will seem like a lot longer than that. Now, because they are uh, demons, because they are demonic, that means they're fallen angels. They, they sided with Satan and uh, they followed after him when he rebelled against God. And many of them, the Bible tells us, were locked away in prison there in the abyss. But, but because they are demonic, that means that they are spiritual. And some, so some people have, um, have indicated that perhaps the people living on the earth during that time will not actually be able to see these, these creatures although they will feel the, their sting and, and, and suffer the consequences of, of their sting. I, I guess that's possible, but I'm of the belief that, that they're going to be able to see them. Um, for one thing, uh, we can see there's numerous places in Scripture where angels appear in some type of form that's visible. For another thing, John goes into such detail in describing these creatures that it, it just... It just wouldn't make sense to me that, that why he would go into that much detail and to describe them if they're not something that could actually be seen. I, I think that people will be able to see them coming, although certainly they will not want to see them coming. John's giving us what he sees. He's describing what it looks like to him. They have armor on them like, like a horse that's armored up for, for battle. And they have, they have something on their head that that has the appearance of a, of a crown. He's not saying necessarily it is a crown, but, it, but it, it looks like that. And they have faces that resemble that of a, of a man. Maybe it's the same characteristics. Maybe it's the same facial features. Maybe, I, I don't know what it is, but he says it's kind of like that. The reference to the hair like women probably means they have or they look like they have long hair. And obviously they have ferocious looking teeth. Now, get the picture of this, folks. This horrendous scene as, as these things come flying up out of the abyss with such a noise that John says it sounds like, it sounds like horses and chariots rushing into battle. And we've all seen, you know, Troy or Gladiator or something, and we know what that sound sounds like in our mind. We can hear this, this armor clanking and this thundering hooves and all this kind of sound. John says there's, as they come up out of the pit, there's so many of them and the, and the beating of the wings that it just sounds like this giant army. And he, and he refers again, twice he mentions this fact that they, have this, that they have this sting like that of a scorpion. They can sting like that of a scorpion. I don't know how many of you have ever been stung by a scorpion, but I have. It's not pleasant. In fact, it will be so bad that, that apparently people will, will beg for death, will cry out for death, will seek death. And apparently, God will not allow anyone to die during that time, whether they try and take their own life or from the sting or anything else. It, it, apparently, the text seems to imply that God will not allow anyone to die during that time. Five months of fear and terror and agony, trying to find some place to hide, but no place to hide from the horde from hell. An emotional, physical, psychological agony, day after day after day. Now, I say to you, as I mentioned last week, that if 
in your mind, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, wow, that, that, man, that sounds harsh. I want to remind you that ultimately, the folks that, that are described here and that are alive during this time period, during the tribulation period, are ultimately just getting what they wanted all along. Because that's what they wanted, was a world without God. You see, when people say that, when people say, I, 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 don't, I don't want God, I don't need God, what, what they mean is, I don't want any regulations, I don't want any stipulations, I don't want any control over, over my life. But they never think about the fact that also with that comes the protective hand of God, which is removed. And God has held them back for century after century after century. And finally, he removes his hand and mankind gets what mankind's wanted, a world without God. You ever heard the expression, be careful what you ask for? So I know that uh, that may sound harsh, but in, in the reality is they're, they're just, they're, uh, mankind's actually getting what mankind has wanted. I, I mentioned a couple months ago that I went to this, Travis and I went to this uh, debate on UNC's campus uh, the atheist against the God people kind of thing. <laughs> y'all remember, some of y'all may remember me talking about that. The atheists who were gathered there, not just the speakers, but there was a, a good contingent of them there in the audience. Listen, and, and I know I've, I've interacted with enough, enough people through the years that don't want to believe in God. What, what they were saying there that night is, we don't need God. We don't want God. Every time you or me interact with some person, whether it's a neighbor, a, a family member, a friend, a, a total stranger at the checkout aisle or whatever that we reach out to and try and display the love of Jesus in some way or invite them to come to church or try and share the message of Jesus and by either their words or their actions, they make it clear, mm, not interested. What they're saying is, don't want God. Don't need God in my life. Well, the people who are still alive during this period of the tribulation period will find out what it's really like to not have God. Hey, let me say this too, because I've mentioned this several times without this judgments, that even in this, in this plague of locusts that come and inflict these painful five-month-long torture of people, even in this, I believe, again, and I've said this over and over again, you can see the, the grace of God being displayed. Now listen to me. You say, well, how does that the grace of God? I don't want to read too much in the text. I, I thought about this long and hard, and I want to be careful. I don't want to read too much into the text. But, but, but think about this with me. What if, what if the sting of these demonic creatures, what if it's just a taste? What if it's just a hint of what hell will be like? Because while this five-month period of time might feel like an eternity, it won't be an eternity, but hell will be an eternity. And what if even in the sting after sting after sting and God not allowing them to die, God not allowing them to take their own life, what if God is saying to them in essence in that moment, are you sure this is what you want? Are you sure you don't want a life with me? Are you sure you're not willing to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross? Are you sure? Because this is what it'll be like without me. I believe even in this terrible time of plague, we see God's grace demonstrated. And you would think, oh, you would think that after something as horrific as this, that people would be, would be clamoring to say, oh, yes, Jesus, I, I, I surrender to you. I need you in my life. I don't want this. I want a life with you. You, you would think that, wouldn't you? But as we'll see next week, as we 
go further into chapter 9 and the sixth trumpet is blown, that even then, that if a man's heart is hard toward the things of God, that even something like this won't turn him. By the way, towards the end of this description of the fifth trumpet, we discover um, in verse 11 that they have a king over them or a leader. In Hebrew, his name is Abaddon, and in Greek, it is Apollyon. The names mean the same thing. They mean destroyer. And I believe, again, this is Satan. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10 that the devil had come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He is their leader. He's the one that they sided with when he rebelled against God. And so, very simply, uh, here at Cross Culture, we have something that we call a BP squared, a big picture biblical principle. The big picture biblical principle from Revelation chapter 9, verse 1 through 12 is simply this. The fifth trumpet, also known as the first woe, will bring a five-month demonic plague on this earth. And then John finishes up this fifth trumpet with these words. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these. Are you saying it's going to get worse, John? That's exactly what I'm saying. It's exactly what John is saying. Well, that's just the fifth, guys. Six and seven are still coming. And every time, I'm telling you, every time I see God saying, are you sure you don't want me? Can I tell you this? We'll close. This, this is, this and there's lots of places, but when I read this and I read about this future that I have absolutely no, zero doubt that it will come to pass. I know for a fact this will come to pass. And when I read about this kind of stuff and I read about what people's, what's in front of people's lives, people I may know, people I don't even know, this is the kind of stuff that keeps me motivated. This is the kind of stuff that keeps me going. This is the kind of stuff that keeps me sharing. This is the kind of stuff that keeps me telling. This is the kind of stuff that keeps me serving. This is the kind of stuff that makes me do it day after day after day after day. Even when the vast majority of people I talk to, not interested. No thanks. And sometimes, sometimes I'm tempted to think, well, all right then, you're just going to get what you deserve. But then I remember I deserved it too. I deserved every bit of it. And somebody somewhere back then shared with me, and I don't remember whether it was the 10th time I heard the message of Jesus or the 100th time I heard the, the message of Jesus. I don't know if it was after this person interacted in my life or this person prayed for me or this. I don't know how long or how many people did it at whatever point that I was willing to say, God, I need you in my life. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm separated from you, and I deserve every bit of the hell that's waiting for me. But somebody told me, somebody told me that you sent your son and he paid the pardon, paid the price that I might have pardon for my sin. So I keep going, knowing that most of the people I talk to, my neighbors, the people I interact with just out and about at McDonald's or wherever, most of them, I, I, it's like, yeah, I'll take the card, but most of them never show up. Uh, I don't know when all of this is going to transpire. I believe it will begin to transpire as soon as the church is raptured or snatched out. It will begin the events of the tribulation period. But nobody knows for certain when it will happen. But I'm telling you this. I've lived a few years on this earth. I'm going to tell you this. There are some strange things going on in this world today. And, and, and I may be totally wrong. And if 50 years from now when I die and they throw dirt on my coffin and y'all walk by, 
Y'all will come by, won't you? <laughs> y'all, y'all can come by and y'all can say, <laughs> miss that one too, Pastor. He hasn't come back. If 50 years from now, that's the case, and you say, okay, but I'm telling you, I, 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 if what Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 was known as the Olivet Discourse, where he talks about the end times, if, if that's not describing what's, what's happening now and what's about to happen on this earth, I don't know what possibly could describe it more. So I'll keep going, I'll keep talking, I'll keep sharing, I'll keep loving, and I'll keep letting God be God and do what God does. And I'll be amazed by His grace every time I think that I deserved it and He saved me. The picture is terrifying. It's hard to imagine the forces of hell unleashed on the people of this world. But as Pastor Clay reminded us today, they are simply getting what they've wanted all along a world without God. The pain from the sting of these demon locusts will be so intense that men will seek death, but God will not allow them to find it. How much better off people would be if they would find Jesus now before it is eternally too late. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.